In what can best be described as George Orwell's 1984 meets American Gladiators, The Running Man, released in 1987, directed by Paul Michael Glazer, has all the nuts and bolts of a great sci-fi action movie, but doesn't quite manage to pull it all together. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, with cameos from Dweezil Zappa, Mick Fleetwood, Jesse Ventura, Jim Brown, I find myself inexplicably charmed by and drawn to this movie despite its many flaws. And we break it down next on the inaugural episode of Midnight Flicks. Sensational, perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark! I'll be back. Go! The highest rated TV show in history. Guess they want us to stay. It's a game. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a cinematic podcast dedicated to movies that are best consumed under cover of darkness. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and joining me on this cinematic expedition is Adam Walker. Adam, how the hell are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I feel rejuvenated here uh, in the Midwest. We just got buried in a mountain of snow. I don't know. I all that. And I was so jealous. because I, <laughs> Dude, I, there's nothing I love more than just bunkering down and having an excuse to not leave the house and just watch movies. So it's the fucking best, man. We got dumped on like pretty hard uh, last year while I was still in school. And I like missed like two weeks of school. And I was like so happy for it. Dude, it is that feeling just like never goes away. Yeah. Like <laughs> just wanting to wanting to stay home and while it's snowing and shit. But um, I, I wanted to tell you about <laughs> a video that I watched on Instagram before I hopped on here. And it was of Sly Stallone. He posted it. Sly Stallone posted a video of him visiting the Rocky statue in Philly. Yeah. Um, and it tickles me to no end that when he does this shit, People in Philly legit are like, hey, yo, Rock. And they're like, hey, Rocky. Like, they legit think that he is that dude. Like, he is the person that won the heavyweight championship of the world, like, <laughs> at 40-odd 40, 40 years ago. <laughs> well, this is also, this is also a city where, where uh, what is it, NFL fans eat shit off the ground, too. This is true. The... <laughs> The the IQ level not high. The stoked on fictional characters level 
through the roof, though. Absolutely. <laughs> he posted this video just like walking around, went to the statue. And I, I love that he posted it because he's walking up and he's like, hey, yo, what's everyone doing here? Like, you know, like he's surprised like the, that it's it's clearly like one of the most touristy parts of Philly. I I made the journey to Mecca to those stairs and ran up and down and took pictures next to the statue. It's really cool. But <laughs> I've done the same. I, I did the same. That was tight. I was on tour with a, a band, wrote in for them like years back. And like, it was actually three bands were all touring together. And basically everybody in the entire like package ran up the stairs. <laughs> in the we area. have identical stories. Literally, I was on tour with a band and we did, we raced up the stairs, took pictures next to the statue. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure that's just like a tour stop for, I mean, I, cause I wouldn't just make a, a trip to Philly. I don't think for any other reason. <laughs> so they non-touring. I have, I have made my way to Philly. So I'm really Philly rules actually, but I just don't think I would go there for Philly specifically. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last, I mean, other times that I've been there that were, that were not involving being, you know, um, involved in a tour where uh, we went out there for a, a music fest, a, a relapse records music fest a long, long time ago, a bunch of us from Fort Wayne and, and uh, just hung out for the weekend. Nice. So that's the only other time I've been there and, and not in the capacity of playing music. It's going to see music. But yeah. Right. Right. Music related, no matter what happens, if you're going there. Yes. <laughs> that makes yeah, sense. yeah. And like, yeah, Philly has its charm. Yeah. The, the, the residents, you know, by and large, I think they're they're they got their marbles knocked a little loose, but hey, that's what that adds to the charm. It does add to the charm. <laughs> Philly is like the midnight flicks of cities. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a toothless, <laughs> flawed uh, existence, but I uh, am stoked that it exists. Right, <laughs> which Feel is like exactly that. why we talk about these kinds of movies. Yeah. Um, have you watched any? Good movies lately. Well, exciting. Well, you know, um, I had mentioned to you not long ago that I did uh, Complete Blood Freak. Yeah, for a while, you know, it's it's like essential shit movies I needed to uh, ingest. Mm -hmm. That I had witnessed it's uh, that monstrosity, and and it lived up. And uh, I think I kind of mentioned to you last time I talked to you about how, like, you know, the first good. Three fourths of it is like a just complete fucking just garbled editing nightmare, like that doesn't make really any sense. And a lot of uh, like you know, it was like <laughs> I don't want to get off too track too much uh, off track too much with bad movies, but I was thinking about Birdemic too not too long ago, and how <laughs> I, was, I was listening to a podcast where they're talking about Birdemic, and um, the host asked one of the the stars of the movie, they're like, so like basically like was there any footage that was uh, taken out that was not used in that movie and she's like no it was all used like that is a weird thing right and that's how i felt like with like with blood freak same same kind of like you know in the same kind of spirit of like hey we'll just use all of it we'll we'll fucking wedge it in there somehow you know but then like you know the, the 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 big finale is the uh the guy turning into the the turkey head monster that the bloodthirsty turkey head monster so it paid off <laughs> It's kind of like for it. Well, it's kind of like also Game of Death. I don't know if you've ever seen Game of Death, the last Bruce Bruce Lee movie. No, I haven't. 
Okay, so that's a similar kind of uh, fits that kind of like uh, that mold as well, where it's like you really got to sit through a lot of shit, but the end is a big fucking payoff because it's a nutso fucking ending, legendary. And Did he die making it and had to have a stunt double do the rest of his shit? Precisely. So the thing with that movie is like, there was very little footage that was actually done of Bruce Lee before he died. Um, so there's the beginning and the end, essentially. And they've had to fill all of it in with like the stunt double who during the, mo- the majority of the movie, he's, he, he's wearing a motorcycle helmet. So a little, little trivia based off of that is like the, the motorcycle suit, jumpsuit that the character is wearing in Game of Death was the inspiration for the jumpsuit that uh, Beatrix Kiddo from Kill Bill wears. Oh, nice. Oh, and black one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that was that was that was directly inspired by the Game of Death uh motorcycle um jumpsuit. And I'm I'm pretty so the only reason I even knew that is because I'm a huge Jackie Chan fan and the dude in Wheels on Meals, he's in a bunch of Jackie Chan stuff. Uh Biao Yoon, I think his name is. Oh yeah, Bo Bo Yoon. Bo Yoon. Is Bo, that the Bo dude Bo that did all the? I'm pretty sure that's the dude that did all that stepped in for for uh, for the the body double. May, okay, I'm thinking of somebody else now because I was thinking of you know, there's the fucking really jacked motherfucker that's like in like Enter the Dragon, and he's like oh. in Bloodsport. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. like named like Bolo Young. Um, that is, yeah, no, he's, <laughs> that dude's all roided up. Um, he's, the, yeah, he's the bad, he's the villain in Bloodsport. Yeah, yeah. No, but Bo Yoon is like, uh, Jackie Chan's size. Okay, okay. Um, so, th- but that's how I, that's why I think I, I remember, um, him stepping in and doing that because he's like on Jackie Chan's level, if not, uh, above it <laughs> yeah 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 totally because he was asked to do it and which is which is crazy but yeah. um so yeah so yeah. that's basically like and that's my roundabout way of talking about blood free so there you go <laughs> <laughs> i fully i fully appreciate you're thinking of bolo Yung, by yeah, the way bolo you sorry that's what that's okay they got fucking good. rules incredibly similar chong lee obviously from bloodsport um but these this is a this is a good intro discussion because we just rattled off i don't know three or four different movies that would all qualify in to me as what a, a midnight flick is yeah but i feel like we should talk about a little bit about what it is uh that way moving forward anyone that were to listen to this would not be thoroughly confused as to what movies would uh, would qualify. So, what what to you is uh, is a midnight flick? So, I would make the kind of like case that there's certain movies that, like, especially when you were a kid, uh, before like and people like of our age. So, let's put that into perspective. Before there was like everything was available all the time via streaming and whatnot. Yeah where there would be certain movies when you'd be watching whatever, like local television, regular syndicated television, that like you would stay up late into the night and early morning to watch. 
movies that, you know, definitely were not suitable for prime time in any way, shape or form. Um, and movies that like have a charm and an aesthetic to them, um, that makes them good movies, warts and all. They're, yeah. they're fun, cool movies. They have, you know, they have a cool story to them. They probably have a lot of plot holes, though. Yeah, they're definitely but a lot of suspension of disbelief that you have to utilize. That too, yes, a suspension of disbelief. Uh, charming, charmingly flawed movies. I like the. I like what you said about this idea of like a movie that's somehow re- like relegated to like a late night purgatory of sorts. Like yeah, Perfect. you you would only ever really catch them uh, at a weird hour and be like, why the hell isn't this on, you know, in the middle of the day? It's not Shawshank. It's not going to be on TBS yeah. uh, for 24 goddamn hours yeah. or whatever. It's, it's going to be on HBO and it's only going to air after 11. And yeah, you have to see it at a buddy's house in his basement because uh, they, they've got HBO or his mom let him get a blockbuster video tape and didn't, didn't check what was in the bag. <laughs> and I would say also primarily R-rated movies. Yeah. <laughs> also, and you know, we so both of us have come up with some uh, ideas initially, um, but I didn't even think about the uh, the rating of them, but that, that's probably ultimately true. <laughs> yes. So yes, but not always necessarily a disqualifier if it was PG-13. Yeah, not always the case, but more often than not, probably in in that realm. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Shall we dive into this um, beautiful amalgamation uh, that is The Running Man? Yeah, our our, our inaugural flick here. And it, and it is a great uh, inaugural flick because lots of Arnie movies play on tv um i see predator all the time that's heavily edited uh but i don't ever see running man I, no one ever shows running man no ever um and if i do it's because i threw it on the tv and i you know it's <laughs> i just came home and was wanting to smash something super fun yeah uh, it's 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 definitely a cult movie absolutely and and not a not a very talked about uh Schwarzenegger movie so so let's get into it. It's showtime. Okay. So, as was mentioned, touched upon a little bit in the monologue, uh, the year is 1987. Um, obviously, this movie stars Arnold Schwarzenegger. It also stars uh, Richard Dawson, which um, I think for younger millennials, I don't know uh, if that would be a, a person that they would even know. But he is as sleazy as he is on. Um, uh, help me out. <laughs> noted, noted for being longtime host of Family Feud. Family Feud. That's right. Yes. He's as sleazy as he is on Family Feud, which is a, which is plays to his character very well. Yes. Um, the movie also has just a crazy amount of cameos. I mean, yes. Jesse Ventura is in it. 
uh, uh, Jen Brown is in it, which is crazy. And yeah. it led me down a wormhole, which we'll discuss later, that I didn't know that Jim Brown just has like a hundred plus movies in yeah, his catalog. Like after he's done with football. catalog. <laughs> yeah, he's like a million movies. Yes. Um, Dweezil Zappa, uh, Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> just it's a, it's a crazy movie that a lot of people wanted to be a part of. And then just a series of of professional wrestlers as well. Obviously, we already mentioned Jesse Ventura. Um, but Professor uh, Sub-Zero. <laughs> Professor Toro Tanaka. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I guess he was a he was a he was in the WWF uh, back in the 60s. Yeah. Um, just a, a strange cast. Uh, but you, it kind of holds together. Uh, I like for the most part, the casting choices are spot on. I, I there's very few people that I wish weren't in this movie. I feel like everyone fits integrally. Yes. And, and I will say also going back to uh, just to touch upon, like, for instance, the Richard Dawson uh, casting. Uh, I know we'll get into our, uh, our friend uh, Roger Ebert at some point. Roger Ebert did point out one thing that I think is very apt is like that was the role that Richard Dawson was meant to play. He, yeah, he plays a like you said a sleazy, conniving, fucking prick, and he does it so well. Like I would say, like of all of the performances of that movie, his stands out like as being like legit, like a good performance, like you know, where he just like, he fucking nails it. He does a fantastic job. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's in my, in my good category. We'll, um, we'll run down the synopsis real quick and then we'll get into some of these categories that we're talking about. Don't um, forget before you do that. Also, yeah. Hey, mention that Yafet Kodo, Yafet Kodo also in the movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Aliens and Freddy's dead and midnight run. Yes, yes. I almost I almost forgot to um to throw him in there just also, because <laughs> I was gonna say the, the namesake of a somewhat legendary uh late nineties, early two thousands West Coast Screamo band. Really? Yes, there was a band called the Alphabet Coda, they're actually quite good. Uh members went on to be in fairly more recent popular bands like uh uh, saviors damn they yeah. just their band name was Yafet Kodo yep and I, I had the opportunity to see one of Yafet Kodo's last shows in Long Beach when I was living in LA and it was right after Dimebag Daryl uh, was gunned down holy and, shit and they, wow. they had a Dean guitar and they paid tribute to Dimebag Daryl <laughs> before their set <laughs> <laughs> so there you go there's my Yafet Kodo story I do apologize Yafet Kodo I didn't even mention mainly because he's not a cameo he he has a legit role in this movie yeah, yeah he's one of the lead, leading cast yeah he yeah. is um, if I were to describe this movie uh, it's definitely a dystopian um, futuristic movie that takes place in 2017 um, and it it takes place in a in a world where justice is kind of played out on this American gladiators esque stage. 
where uh, famous accusers are made to run through this gauntlet and um, and they are chased down and and killed for the national viewing public's uh, entertainment. That's right. Um, right. Is that, is anything else you would add to that general summation? Yeah. So a couple of things I'll say about that. Yes, precisely. Basically, like, you know, it's, it's a prison state sort of world. And if you like, you know, you kind of like observe like the the the, um, the landscape uh, during the movie is it's 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 stratified between like, you know, this almost like Blade Runner esque like very highly dense, uh, densely populated urban area. And then just this decay that kind of surrounds it like a moat. Um, yeah. and, and that's where like, of course, you know, the, 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 the have nots exist, which at this point, you know, our real world <laughs> tends to reflect it more and more, particularly out here in Seattle. Anybody knows how things are. Um, but yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a dystopian sort of nightmare prison state world um, um, where there's this huge division between, you know, the haves and haves and have nots. Um, but I also wanted to say, uh, state something about how you mentioned the American gladiator sort of like, um, aesthetic premise and aesthetic. Did you know that this movie was an inspiration for the American gladiator? Oh, I did not know that. Yes. Yeah, so the blow my mind. Yeah. So the producers of American gladiators, when they were like coming up with an idea for the show, they were like, basically they're like, we want to show like running man without the murder. they fucking copped out i didn't i did not know that and i was actually curious but didn't do the research as to where this fell in the timeline because this is 1987 when this film was released i knew american gladiator was like late 80s so yeah so that's that is super interesting and uh it makes it even more interesting that you said that because didn't arnold schwarzenegger end up Hosting like a reboot of American Gladiators, like yes, I didn't see that, but I believe you're correct. Now I will say that the original run of American Gladiators, a young Adam Walker was quite the fan. Oh yeah, no, oh, yes. God, yes, very much so. I loved, I loved that the the gauntlet that they had to run through, where they basically essentially got to that. They have to go to different guns and shoot at the targets. Yeah, yeah. That one that just shoots tennis balls right in the middle. And right. <laughs> like that, that was one of my favorite obstacle courses yeah. that I've ever that uh, on TV in general. Yeah. I mean, it was basically like it was like a Nickelodeon kid show for adults. It it, it was literally wild and crazy kids for adults. <laughs> yeah. Quite, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah. Um, no, good. That's that's uh, awesome additions to what i've already said but um okay let's get into it with um a category that we like to call the good the bad and the questionable and we'll start with the good i actually came up with quite a quite a decent list of stuff that I actually genuinely liked. Um, stuff we've already touched upon, but real quickly, the Mick Fleetwood, Dweezil Zappa cameos, just both appreciated and both did a good job of not being outlandishly ridiculous or anything like that. They both fit in 
to the movie nicely. Yeah, I was, um, I was quite tickled by their appearances. I will point out the makeup job that they used to age Mick Fleetwood was terrible. Very bad. <laughs> that would be on the bad list. Yes, <laughs> sorry to jump ahead on that one. No, no, it totally would be. Um, and Mick Fleetwood's character's name is Mick, so that's strange. Yeah. Um, what, like we already talked about Richard Dawson. I put that on the good. Um, and I just put still cashing in on that sleaze because I just remember him from um, Family Feud as being like the dude that just like ropes and kisses every every one of the females that's like yeah. being super gross. Like he's grosser on Family Feud than he is on this show where he kills people. <laughs> Which is fucking crazy. Uh, but that you know, he made the good he made the good my good list because uh it was such a flawless performance, probably be because of that. Yeah. Um didn't have to do a lot of method on that one. So. No, not at all. Yeah. He didn't he didn't reach too far. <laughs> <laughs> um Captain Freedom, played by Jesse Ventura, I thought was just uh spot on. Uh as just Fantastic. Specifically, the workout video that he does. Yes. is <laughs> so good. Um, and, and to piggyback off of that, the Ben Richards Captain Freedom fake fight is genuinely well choreographed. It's, it's really good. Um, one of the best fights that you get in the entire in the entire sequence of them being, um, you know, in that in that Thunderdome-y right. <laughs> area. Yes. Um, ben, I put Ben's Hawaiian getup. I just loved uh, that that's what he looked like uh, traveling to the airport. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just a gorgeous man. Um, <laughs> the Climbing for Dollars TV show? Right. Yes. <laughs> So, so what I was gonna say about that, because you mentioned the Jesse Ventura character, Captain Freedom, um, workout show, and then now you mentioned this. So to me, um, those parts um, were great because, in a lot of ways, I feel like they're similar to um, in RoboCop, the uh, the fake commercials, um, the fake parody commercials. That's exactly what it reminded me and, of, and I like that. I like that. Um, those uh, similarities in terms of like how like they were riffing probably on each other some way in terms of like what they projected the future world would be like being hyper cynical and you know (laughs) yeah yeah no that's exactly what it reminded it reminded me of a cross between those those robo what you were mentioning about robocop and idiocracy all the fake tv shows on on idiocracy yeah it was very it was actually very similar um Buzzsaw punching that one fan in the face and then everyone being like super stoked on it. Yeah. <laughs> that was tight. Just like ridiculously tight. Yeah. Um, Jim Brown as Fireball. Surprisingly uh, a competent acting performance and what led me down the wormhole of what the hell else is Jim Brown in? Oh yeah, a million things apparently. Right. So not only is like, you know, he's got, yeah, he's got this uh, ridiculous film roster, but he's, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a fucking NFL legend. He's got to be the only NFL player that I can think of. And I racked my brain that uh, 
has this much of an extensive film career. I could not even think of anyone, even within the the stratosphere. Yeah. I, I couldn't even think of a single NFL player. So that is that is crazy because he's a Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame running back, <laughs> and just like a really, really good actor. I, I just it's it's shocking. It really is really crazy. Yeah. Um that is that's the extent of my good. What do you have to add to the good list? Well, I wanted to just to, to before I get into that, I also wanted to say, um, um, don't forget OJ though. Um, because another NFL uh that's true. with a stellar acting career. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Say what you will about what he did, but I mean, naked gun. He literally fooled us all with the greatest performance of all time. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Is that one performance better than Jim Brown's 200 performances? <laughs> the, the, his uh, naked gun cameo or his appearance in Naked Gun trumps all, all uh, Jim Brown's entire oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Anyways. Rename the podcast Jim Brown's uh, <laughs> Collective Oeuvre. <or> <laughs> um, yeah, so good good for me. Like, yeah, you pretty much touched on all of it. So the thing I like to say about what, what makes this movie so cool for me is it has a shared DNA, I feel, with a lot of things that I think are cool and a lot of people that grew up through the 80s and, and, and around that time um, that think are cool, and that's video games and comic books. Because clearly, like, you know, we have here, like, y- you know, like, the plot, the way, the way it, it tracks out, and the way the movie progresses is like a video game. You're going through mm-hmm. levels and fighting bosses, you know, to get to the next level. And incidentally, Running Man was adapted as a video game. And also, to add to that, the, the game Smash TV... I don't know if you remember that. Another great arcade game was also adapted from the premise of Running Man. What the hell? This movie, yeah. I didn't know this movie had such uh, wide-reaching tendrils. Yeah, it had, it had like some pretty like, you know, pretty fun like cultural like um, impacts later on. Like for like, you know, like I said, it, it, you know, it, you know, it kind of expanded into different like, you know, media. But yeah, so Smash TV, that was a fun game. I remember I played that when I would go to the roller rink as a kid. And basically it was like, you were this character that went into an arena. Um, and you just basically like, you just, you just fucking shot like the, this like oncoming horde of enemies to, to bits. So you would just, it would, your, your character would rotate, you know, like it was like an aerial view and your character would rotate. <laughs> on a 360 kind of pivot and had a giant fucking machine gun and you would just mow down this <laughs> like just <laughs> endless horde of fucking enemies and uh yeah and like each time you made your way up like you know the, the crowd would approve or disapprove however but yeah totally like based off of the running man. that's a that's a good point i did i did enjoy the the video gamey kind of vibe to it but yeah. Um, yeah and and then like again like each character also could be easily adapted to like some sort of like comic book character you know oh, especially yeah. the, the the stalkers like the you know the way they had their names and they had their outfits and everything like that like they were they were they were 
perfectly set up to be comic book characters. Yes, absolutely. And, but I will say, so this is what I'll say. Going off of that, um, um, well, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get into uh, any other category. So I guess I'll, 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 I'll stop myself right there. But the, those are the things that were really cool for me, and yeah. and definitely made it like you know, like a movie that like you know is super like nostalgic for me, and and like didn't bore me because it had so many facets to it that like i think touch into a deep part of my psyche uh, as like you know like somebody that's into like you know nerdy weird things like that and i think i would also throw onto the um comic book gaming pile is it just has a it has a professional wrestling aesthetic to it too well obviously the stalkers not only just being former professional wrestlers, but the pageantry, um, their names, the the kind of overacting performance of it all. Yeah. Uh, it, I think it it is this it is all of that, all of that eighties aesthetic. Eighties was the time that wrestling ruled the world. Yes. Professional wrestling was no bigger than it was in the eighties. Yeah. Um, you know, comic books video games those are all like blowing up so right. this is totally uh a period a, a period piece of its time um well, and i would say too like i don't think this happened i don't re- i don't remember reading anything about this but and this makes me think of uh uh you know the fact that i've been i've been watching those uh uh the toys that made us shows and how oh yeah things were adapted to toys or vice versa that's another thing too like if this movie would have been more of a success, I could totally see, you know, licenses being made for a toy line, you know, things like that. So, like, you know, there's just all these different aspects that make it a, a fun kind of world building movie in a lot of ways, you know, where, like, you could take, like, each one of these characters and kind of, like, make a different, like, thing, you know, or, like, expand upon it. But, totally. and I was, uh, I would say another thing as far as what I do enjoy is like, it has a very eighties, um, uh, color palette that I, that I appreciate an aesthetic that I appreciate. And that's a lot of like neons and pastel type colors juxtaposed with like those like more dreary kind of dark, like urban, um, urban uh landscapes mm-hmm. um, which you know like any movie that has that like it, that is good i mean yeah <laughs> i mean obviously the aforementioned blade runner um being a, a prime example of something like that um that neon noir kind of aesthetic that i'm a fucking sucker for absolutely I, i'm i too am a total sucker for that um but that's actually good. Uh, that's a good segue into into bad. Into the <laughs> let's get into the bad of this. Yeah. Um, what you were talking about is actually what I put on the bad list. I I like the aesthetic that you're talking about, but what I put on the bad list is this is supposed to be 2017, and it is so 80s. Like you got the clothes and the hair. Everything is just 80s as fuck. There's perms and shoulder pads and Olivia Newton-John leotards and shit everywhere. Like, it is 
the worst representation of the future. Like they literally did not even try. <laughs> well, yeah, and like uh, also note the uh, the uh, the the lead actress uh, that played um, um, Amber um, Maria Conchita Alonso. Yes. So also note, like <laughs> when she has her first uh, uh, interaction with with Arnold, uh, aka Ben Richards, uh, in the the apartment, and she is working out in lingerie. Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck does that? But apparently that that's a thing that she did. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. But yes. So yes, like you know the 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 costume choices did not age well. I will say this though, in its defense, uh, there is a thing <laughs> that I philosophically hold on to that I would have been okay with the world stopping it the way it, the way and existing the way it did in the eighties. So I would, uh, I yeah. would be totally fine with it being that way now in my own like weird sort of way. But yes, yeah. in terms of like any sort of like ability to like you know actually project what it really would be like you know, 20 to 30 years from when that movie was made. No, they, they didn't, they didn't do a good job. The, uh, the police officers and the guards of the prison labor camp, their, their, uh, uniforms, absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's all, it's all very much. So they failed the 2017 test of it pretending to be 2017. It's very much. So just pissing on my shoes and telling me it's raining kind of, uh, futuristic. but it's funny like you were saying like i feel like a lot of like you know lower budget or like you know less ambitious movies they did that whole like thing where it's like yeah just slap some fucking shoulder pads or some pads onto the outfits and future there's the future everybody everybody in the future is going to be really really worried about (laughs) just getting their elbows and knees and falling <laughs> that's like the future aesthetic it's like I, I i don't know what it is but all of these all of these uh tv shows and movies from the 80s all depict the future very similarly so that goes on the bad list for just being um not thinking creatively enough yeah. um i'll run through the rest of the list uh, opening credits look like a, an 8-bit video game uh, it's one of the worst opening credits I've ever seen. But again, for me, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that's the, that I'm not, I'm not. It does lend itself to the overall aesthetic. Yeah. I'm not, It that's not on the list. I think it serves the movie well, but yeah. it just was just, you, it, it was just so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I too, there are stuff on this list that I'm conflicted about. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm not conflicted about is Amber's performance uh, by Maria Conchita Alonso is is her and Arnold are like going toe to toe on who can who can be the fucking worst in this. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. She is so bad. Just abysmal performance. Yeah. Um, Ben's plan is bad. Um, Right. His, his escape plan is just really bad. Why does multiple questions that I, <laughs> that I, I won't wait for questionable just because I think the, the plan is bad and I have other things to talk about in the questionable category. But why does he need Amber? Um, the travel pass is somehow less th- secure than like a fucking Costco membership. Like there's not a there's not a picture 
ID on any of these travel passes? Mm-hmm. Why does he need to drag her to the airport? Why does he? He already has the travel pass. So his plan is to drag her to the airport and then annoy everybody in line when they can't find the travel pass in her purse. It's just like the worst plan of all time. I just, I don't get the plan is bad. Um, yeah, the very, only thing very worse right. than the plan is this TSA. I don't know what his, his title would be in the future, but the TSA dude is just really bad at his job. Um, he, he, when faced with someone who's trying to essentially find the equivalent of a boarding pass in a security line, he folds under pressure <laughs> faster than someone with like a shitty hand in poker. Like he right. is just like, all right, well, I, I'm not going to wait five more seconds for you to find it. So I'll just let you through <laughs> that dude is bad at his job. Ben's plan is just terrible. Um, Speaking of people, speaking of people that are bad at their job, the stalkers are just all really bad at their job to the point where I didn't understand how there were any previous episodes of this show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So right there, like I'm going to totally interject on this. Um, Go ahead. Interject on some of the other points, but that one right there, that is a big, big bugaboo for me. With this, is like these guys are supposed to be like like highly trained badass <laughs> motherfuckers and like these dudes fucking murk them effortlessly especially especially fireball like yeah. that dude he's like supposed to be the fucking he's supposed to be like he's the boss he's supposed to be basically i would I, so again going back to the video analogy video game analogy i would say that richard dawson is the final boss but i would say so, okay, this uh, if we're going to line this up as a video game, you know, you got the stalkers, and then you have Captain Freedom, and then the final, like, final boss is Richard Dawson. That's I like, how I can totally see I the like what you did there. I like that. Yeah, they're essentially fighting Bebop and Rocksteady <laughs> multiple times up until... Because I was going to say... Um, that Jesse Ventura was the was the final boss, but I like the idea that even more evil and menacing than all these inept assholes is just Richard Dawson. Just sleazy Richard Dawson is actually the final boss. I'm totally with you. That that yeah. all of that makes sense. I, I could totally see this playing out as like that's like that's like the fucking twist in like a video game is like you think that you've you you've uh, you know you've conquered you know, the final boss via Captain Freedom. But wait, no, you're not done yet. You, you haven't, you haven't uh, completed your mission yet until you, 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 you kill, uh, what's his, what's fucking Richard Dawson's name in the, in the, in the show. Uh, it's, uh, I can't remember his fucking name. It's I like don't Killian. remember his name either. Killian. That's his name. Kill- well, how did we fucking forget that his name is Killian? Killian. Yes. So yes. But anyways, going back, like those, the fucking stalkers, are basically worthless. And I will reference again our friend Roger Ebert. He himself said those fight scenes are essentially like they're all three like just like copied and pasted. Copied and pasted. Like over like the, the span of that. And that was like a big drawback uh, for like the action in the movie is the fact that like there wasn't a lot 
of development or differentiation between each one of those uh, fights. That was his review, and I hate to agree with that that dumb dick, but um, he was. I will, I will concede when he's right. Like again, I know, like you know, we're kind of jumping the gun with the premise of the show, where um, listeners will find out that we both, you know, have our own. Uh, uh, we both have our own truck with Mr. Ebert and some sure. of the things he said. Um, sure. That doesn't mean that he was always wrong. No, no, no. He made In fact, yeah. throughout his tenure, but yes, I will say that he was he was right with that. They uh, they they dropped the ball on how to develop the the stalker sequences. And it that is the nicest way of putting it. It really never you never felt at any point that the runners were. In any real danger, in no, fact, not at all. They're in such little danger that they're able to fucking scheme about like breaking into the network and shit. Like they have like this side plan while the stalkers are after them. Like it's not they. That's how little in danger they are. So that's okay, and that brings me to this other thing that I want to talk about. With that is like, who? Okay. The, the the how fucking incompetent or just like weak were the other prisoners that like were in this game like to the, the, that they were fucking taken out that like we so, see like skeletons and shit everywhere. right so so and that brings me to okay the who breeze apparently that Richard Dawson's character had to introduce this fucking killing machine of a man in Arnold to like up ratings. And it's just like, so like that juxtaposition of like, well, after you think about it, it's like whoever was in the game before fucking sucked. Like they were just like, you know, it was just like fish in a barrel. So I don't know. Like, so they didn't have the foresight that they're like, well, if we actually put somebody in the arena, that's a trained soldier, a trained killing machine that like he, he's going to have a chance. Like he's, that's that's the thing throughout the show. Like you know, they kind of play on that a little bit. Like where like they you know, like, maybe that's that's kind of baked into it. Is like maybe the big reveal is like, well, maybe that was all Killian's plan. Is like he just wanted to have a better stalker, so he introduced somebody like Ben Richards to like take these guys out, and then obviously he offers the uh, the proposal to him. He's like, well, hey, why don't you join our show? You know, like think about it. Like it's, it's a good offer. And yeah, because at the end of the day. He's evil incarnate in the Killian is is basically evil incarnate in the in the aspect that he doesn't even care who dies as long as ratings go up. So he's willing to sell for bottom dollar whatever makes him profitable. So <laughs> so um, sorry sorry to hijack. No 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 no. That is that it needed to be talked about because it is it is universally the worst part. Um, the only thing I, the only other thing I have to add is Dino, Dynam, Dynamo especially sucks. That's all. Dynamo fucking sucks. His outfit sucked. Like, really? Like, and I mean, I know, like, is the worst. they joke about it. Well, in the, in the, in the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the dialogue where they talk about like, yeah, he just looks like a fucking like Christmas ornament or whatever, which he does. He just He's like an cool. operatic. So he, his, well, I don't even understand his. I don't even understand. He's like, and he literally is like a classically trained operatic singer dressed up in like Tron shit yeah. with like 
a fucking LED mohawk. Like a real budget fucking Tron look. Like you know, it's, the, it's, they just put like Christmas lights and plug basement them. basement budget Tron leotard. Yeah, he, he's uh, and the idea that he comes in so much later in the stalker game is even if he was first, then I'd be like, oh, we're just getting this shit out of the way. But the fact that he's like the third stalker, I think, is like so embarrassing. It's, yeah, he'd be like if, if if this was Mike Tyson's punch out, he'd be Glass Joe or whatever. Uh, yes yes but you punch him three times and he's down you'd quite easily so what i was gonna say to uh to kind of cap off the, the bad uh the one other main thing i was gonna say is and i think you kind of like nibbled on this a little bit was like how fucking easily the uh the resistance fighters break into the 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 tv studio there's like yeah, I think, yeah. no there is literally no security whatsoever and like what's crazy about that is not only that there should be because it's it's a it's a tv studio but like this is a tv studio that in this universe in this world apparently has a contract with the defense department yeah because it's inner it's interlinked linked with the u.s government yeah because they're basically they're they're a they're a psyops kind of operation and they have no no fucking security whatsoever. The resistance fighter just they sneak in and and they just it's literally fucking Dweezil Zappa with a pea shooter like gets through the, the the only the the most high security building uh on on this fucking planet. Which which brings me to one of my uh, there's many one liners, many choice one liners in this movie. One being from Dweezil Zappa when he he leads the resistance into the into the the production uh room and and he says don't touch that dial <laughs> did i you read my mind i have well i have arnold's one-liners are especially phoned in on they're so bad they're as, so fucking bad they're all so like bad multiple ones that are just he, like he says i'll be back like they just recycled that yeah I, that made me think, like, does he say I'll be back in, like, a bunch of shit? Like, or did they just get so lazy that they just started recycling old Arnold shit? But, you um, know, I can see that being on the part of, like, the writers and or whoever being like, oh, well, you know, this is a funny little, like, you know, Easter egg. A little nod. Yeah, a little it's nod. Like too, it's, like, too obvious to be, like, a fucking Easter egg, though. He's literally like, oh, but Buck. Like, it's like, right. oh, shit. He said, like, the line that he says. Um <laughs> But it, every time anyone dies, it's like he had to split or like fucking when they kill uh, Jim Brown's uh, character. Uh, what a hothead. Like it's there's just so many. There's so many bad ones. The only one that's even quasi interesting, and it's only because it kind of uh, it, it kind of predicts the future is he says, I'm not into politics. I'm into survival. Right. <laughs> Which is right. Um, fucking hilarious well let me interject this one which yeah is, to me the doozy of all of them and i don't know i'm pretty sure this is what he says um because i think i've heard from other people make the, this point about this one-liner was when when he takes out sub-zero his line is he was sub-zero now he's playing zero oh my god yes yes <laughs> what the I, fuck does that even mean <laughs> If so, if we were to take that line seriously, he's saying he was sub-zero. Now he's plain zero. 
technically sub-zero is neg is a negative number he's right. upgraded he's, him he's neutralized what is so it? he's he's made him better because now he's not sub-zero he, he's he's just he's just prime zero so yeah, like zero you you made him stronger he's nothing he's nothing at all he has no adjective whatsoever to to tack on or any sort of like now he's together. playing zero like jesus all right, all right. christ yeah um so do we have any other bad do we want to throw anything on this shit heap um <laughs> i have i have one more really well, I, I, I was to say i to reiterate again mick fleetwood's uh makeup the makeup just atrocious and just completely unnecessary right exactly totally that's what i was saying like why did you have to age him so theoretically to be like what like a a 70 year old man i guess when like around that time mick fleet would probably would have been like in his 50s i would guess yeah just leave him a 50 year old fucking man yeah probably just totally fine i i don't just as sage as a as a leader the only thing that it reminded me of is he's in a Star Trek Next Generation episode. Um, and the only reason you would ever know he was even in it is in the credits that says special guest star Mick Fleetwood. He specifically contacted uh, Star Trek Next Gen like producers and was like, I want to be in an episode, but I don't want my face shown, is what he said. So he plays this fucking alien that literally has like something covering... It's like a full body thing covering over his face and his entire body. And the only reason he even stands out is because he's like just tall as shit in just normal life. Um, So I, it made me think of that. Like maybe he was like, I want to be in the movie, but I want you to make me look older. So nobody knows I'm in it. Like that's the only thing I could even think is is that right. Star Trek story made me think like maybe he's got this weird thing that he will appear in shit or wants to appear in movies but doesn't want it to be himself in it. <laughs> right, I, I I guess, but I mean, it's not like you you can. T- there is nothing about that makeup job other than the fact that it's like shitty that obscures really like his his fundamental features. You know, You're like oh, that's Mick Fleetwood with some yeah, and it's not like Fleetwood Mac. It's not like this is fucking Michael Jackson in this movie. Oh, right. Or whoever is on the top of their game in 1987. Did most, did people go to this movie and were like, oh, Mick Fleetwood. Like, <laughs> like calm down, dude. Like, no one's going to recognize you and no one cares. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I really wanted to shit on was th- this ending credits song, Restless Heart oh, by wow. John by John Parr. John Parr, yeah, dude. It's sick, right? <laughs> sick, like, it made me sick, yes. Um, also, the composer of St. Elmo, the theme is St. Elmo's Fire. Yes, yes. And all I wrote, I was furiously just putting notes down when I heard the song. <laughs> I just put, John Parr fucking sucks, <laughs> and St. Elmo's Fire fucking sucks. I, that's all I wrote. I just and I just fucking hated. I heard this song and I was like, "Is this?" I, this sounds like familiar. Then I looked it up. I was like, "Oh, it's John Parr. That guy fucking sucks." And I hate saying almost fire. So that, I just wanted to shit on that before we moved on. Unless there was anything else you wanted to shit on. No, I think that's it. We'll, if, if if I do think of something else, we'll, we'll uh, you know we'll we'll pack it on. But like my you know. questionable cat, my questionable uh, category, 
I have stuff to shit on, so we're we're gonna keep going anyway. Okay. Um, so feel free to throw in. Um, how long does it take a guard to activate the perimeter? I, I in the beginning of the movie, uh, they have the they they take the perimeter down, uh -huh. and then there's a prisoner running for it. Right. And everyone's like telling him to to not because there's still a guard manning the perimeter. Yeah. Um, this dude is running for it, running for it, running for it, running for it. And this fucking guard is like literally taking a, a lifetime to to activate this perimeter. That that is the top of my questionable list. It literally just took forever. They took it down in like a, a macro second, and then this guard to put the perimeter back up. Apparently, it's a much it's a much harder upload than it is just taking it down. Yeah. Um, my, <laughs> when they're trying to choose a new, when they're trying to choose somebody for the show, I don't know if you noticed this, but at one point, somebody there, it's like a it's like a series of criminals, and somebody pops up on the screen that's just a baby. And his name is Maddo Babyface March. And it's literally an infant. And it like pauses on the screen for a second. And I just wrote, what the fuck crime did this baby commit? <laughs> That's the thing. I, I would say, I, I, so I'll go to bat for that. And just uh, stated it like, well, it's in a future that like is so morally bankrupt and so true. Cruel. That like even in those circumstances, a baby can be convicted as a as a felon. Question with an answer. I like that. Yeah. So I would say that. Yes. So fuck that answer. baby. Throw him to the wolves. That's yeah. a good answer. And I and this category isn't for unanswerable questions. It's literally just fucking questions I had. Yeah. Questionable um, ones like ones that like you know like were yeah dubious dubious dude. in there. Dubious. Yeah, this this is also a plot holes uh, section as well. Um, just real quick, nobody's going to recognize the butcher of Bakersfield. What was this goes back to how bad uh, Ben's plan was. Um, his face was like all over all the big brother monitors and he just goes to the airport wearing a Hawaiian shirt and like a hat. Like, that's that's like if Jeff Dahmer tried to catch a plane after all that shit came out. Um, Money in the future looks like it's as wide as a goddamn note card. Like the bills looked <laughs> insane. I don't know why they were so uh, just giant. Yeah. Um, what is with the uh, theme of geriatric bloodlust? There's just a number of oh, old yes. bags that just really fucking want to see some blood. They really do. I love That's it. That's not so much of a question as it is just like, that's tight, and I wonder why they made that a thing. So, um, yeah, on that, I was going to say that another great one-liner that came out from the one, um, the one um, audience member that was, a, a, you know... An, You're an about to read my mind. <laughs> she goes, that boy's one mean motherfucker. Yes, and her name, Agnes. Yeah. <laughs> I just wrote in quotes, Agnes, that boy's one mean motherfucker. That boy's one mean motherfucker. What is with the fucking bloodlust of specifically these geriatric people? This is crazy. Like, uh, they are the most worked up. I would say, I would say again, I'm going to go to bat for that one as well and say that that is the most in line with the future prognosticating is like, 
at this point we're in 20 yeah. because that movie is actually supposed to take place between 2017 and 2019 if i if i'm correct or at least the the story and uh if <laughs> if you watch any shows a day you know you will definitely see there's a lot of like um comic um play that's that's uh placed on um or or you you will see people that are 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 older and elderly that have that uh you know that um irreverent kind of you know aspect to them um i was just the nicest possible way you could have said just old dickhead trump supporters or whatever (laughs) well yeah not even that but like not not even trump supporters but just like i feel like you know because like baby boomers you know a lot of them you could you, you know they came from like even like you know the generation that came up through the 60s you know, and, and things like that. So like they, they came up through a time where, you know, that there, there was, they were free wheeling. So, you know, they would probably still, you know, some of them hold on to that, that aspect of their personality, you know, to this. Well, they all fucking think they're like Dennis Hopper from easy rider. And in reality, they're like, just all the actors from like, uh, these CPAP commercials with like sleep, sleep apnea, just like fucking waiting to die. Like none of them are Dennis Hopper, and none of them ever will be. So, no. but I will that 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 is why I feel like that that's fine by me. That there are some, but again, that adds to the whole uh, what I was saying about with like killing the baby. It's like it's a society that is so fundamentally morally bankrupt and and corrupted that like that these things the, actually make sense. Well, that the most the most people that like you know that are considered to be the the most you know innocent you know, people um, are themselves also shitty. True. The elderly and, you know, the infant. And the, and and the infant pile. They're, they're, they're also just shitty people. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know? That you baby had to have done something wrong. Right. <laughs> and you know that that fucking, that Agnes has, she's got skeletons in her closet. You know that. Well, that Agnes has, has definitely choked someone to death. Or fucking yeah, she's <laughs> she for sure the neighbor or whatever. Like yeah, she definitely gouged someone's eyes out over a fucking marble rye or something. <laughs> um, oh yes, two more. And this is not a question; it's just something I I didn't know where to put it, so I just put it in this category. Um, is that the recording ding for? Oh, that was. Unfortunately, my uh, all of my devices are connected. So when I get a message on my phone, it comes up on my. Oh, I didn't know if it was saying we had to pay for shit now. No, apparently it's it's still rolling. So we're we, cool. Okay, we'll see. We'll um, see. I click the the stop button, and then there's some fuckery that appears. But we'll we've okay. gotten this far, and everything's been okay. We're chugging, chugging along. Yeah, we're trucking along. Um, okay, two more, and this is not a. Uh, question so much as it is just i didn't know where to put this categorically the i am obsessed with those like leather daddy herders like when the runners get shot down that shoot there's like a gang of leather daddies like that job just looks like the most fun they literally i don't even but i also don't understand their purpose and i guess that's the question is what is the purpose of these leather daddies literally like dressed up head to toe 
one of them is wearing what can best be described as like one of those dick nose plague doctor masks only it looks like a a paintball mask (laughs) (laughs) or like uh yeah or like what is it uh um Ah, fuck it. I won't get into that. But yes, exactly. it, is, it is like Rob Halford meets like uh fucking Plague Doctor uh, oh cyberpunk aesthetic shit. Yeah. That that it was just a strange choice. I didn't really understand why they needed to be herded. They're already they can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> like what the fuck? Um any questions from you regarding anything in this movie before we move on? Um, well, okay. So there is like, um, maybe I missed this, but the, um, the part where, uh, Captain Freedom is, you know, fighting the virtual Ben Richards (laughs) Amber in the, in the, uh, the octagon there, where did they get the, the people from that, that they, that they mapped? For one, okay, where did they get those people from that they mapped their features on? And two, how were they able to find two people that quickly that fit the exact body size and dimensions of both Ben Richards and Amber to be able to achieve that simulation? And the and the Ben Richards double, I mean, he actually fucking dies. He dies. And he didn't <laughs> The the idea that he was just walking around, uh, so they, yeah, either that or they 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 have a stable of of people that they're that they're mining from, like more like you I mean, know, he could have been a potential, uh, you know, maybe he was one of the gladiators or whatever. Or what I'm thinking is that, and maybe I missed this while I was watching is maybe, yeah, maybe it was just you know it was a uh, an employee of the TV station that ran afoul of Killian, you know, through questioning his leadership or his decision-making. And he's like, well, put that guy in the fucking octagon with Captain Freedom. And then, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, chew him up. I think that's more in line. They literally, it was just some dude walking around HQ and they said, oh no, it'll be fine. Like, uh, we'll suit you up. You're going to have like this choreographed fight. And then Captain Freedom literally fucking kills this, this, right. this fucking dude. Um, no. Yeah. I, that was very, that whole sequence. They don't do a lot of, I appreciate that they didn't try to explain a ton because I didn't want to hear the the mumbo jumbo of, of how they went about doing it. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely a huge question. Um, let me think what else is there? If there's any sort of, uh, questions I had beyond the ones that we uh, we had already touched upon. Um, no, I think like we pretty much we hit all all the you know all the points that I would have made uh, other than you. So collectively, we've touched upon everything. Cool. Do you want to move on um, to? Have you listed your top three favorite quotes? Because I have. Yes. Yes, and we already talked about some of them already, but like again, that boy's one mean motherfucker. That's literally my number one. Is that boy's one mean? Here, you run down yours, and I'll them. I'll run down mine. Um, I can't remember the context that this one was in. Oh, it was Dino. Okay, yes, this is what it was. It was Dino when Dynamo 
and Amber were having that one last. Um, they tried to her. rape her. They tried to rape her, um, and um, she says something about him being dickless, and he responds, "I'll show you, dickless." <laughs> and wow, that really go. But he's just playing. He's it's really going into that character of like Sub Zero, more like playing Zero. Like nothing makes any fucking sense. Like. Dickless, I'll show you Dickless. Okay, you're going to show me Dickless. I would prefer that. Well, yeah, but it's it's just like it's just like a dumb like attempt at a cheap shot. Yeah, she is for all intents and purposes, as far as I know, she is a biological woman in the movie. So yeah, she has no dick. <laughs> what are you trying to prove by saying I'll show you Dickless? You're not going to rip her non-existent dick off. Or see, or, I thought I saw it more as like. I'm gonna. I'm going to fuck you with the dick I don't have. So there you go. That's just like the just how Sub Zero more like Plane Zero is like the opposite of a threat and or funny. J- him saying that is literally the opposite of a threat. Like, please don't fuck me with the dick you don't have. <laughs> there you go. So there you go. Touche. Um, there, so there was that, and then there was also the one I already talked about. Uh, Dweezil Zappa uh, uh, leading the resistance and. Uh, you know, pointing uh, out to the uh, or t- telling. Oh, that's right. The production right. room. Don't touch that dial. As he uh, held them up with his, as you said, pea shooter. Are you so, putting that boy's one mean motherfucker on yours too? Yeah, those are my three. So I have Agnes with that boy's one mean motherfucker at top, top, top notch spot. Yeah. Um, and actually, my other two are ones we haven't mentioned at all yet. So. Number two, <laughs> Amber's coworker slash friend uh, approaches her in the hall, okay. and Ben is being like led past them in handcuffs. You do, funny. I already, I, you, I just looked at this. I, I and mean, I was going to mention it. I totally forgot about this one, but yes, totally but- weird, right? <laughs> yeah. He says, "Boy, you're lucky he didn't kill you too, or rape you and kill you." Or kill you, then rape you. Right. Like, she proceedingly gets like hornier and like is like right. giving him fuck me eyes. Like it is the strangest quote of maybe the whole movie. Like, yeah. So there's this there's this insinuation that yes, it's a turn on for her to think about that scenario. Like it's like she's fetishizing, you know, <laughs> being death raped. Literally, death raped is like her. But just like as a like a coyly passing coworker conversation, yes, <laughs> like a, it's literally a water cooler conversation about how she just wishes this dude would death fuck her. Boy. Lucky he didn't kill you too, or rape you and kill you, or kill you that rape you. Right. So that's, uh, that's nice. No kink shame, but yes, a little odd. Oh no. None at all. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be death raped and it's consensual. You know, place and time. I, I don't want to hear about it at the water cooler. <laughs> um, and and then what I thought was fucking okay. hilarious is when they make up uh, a bunch of crimes for Amber, they, they give her an intro. So the crowd boos. Yes. Uh, the, so it's not a quote so much as it is just like, um, what's being played over the speaker system. But the announcer is saying later she cheated on college exams and had sexual relationships with two, sometimes three different men in a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that lied that she had 
sexual relationship with two and sometimes even three different men in a year. That made me, I lost my goddamn shit. So that that's what passes as a crime uh, for females in the, in the future. And then in fact, that passes a crime in today's book here. Yeah. It did at that point and it still does pass as a, as a, as a uh, moral trespass in a lot of people's minds that having multiple partners within your lifetime, uh, you know, implies deviance. Get a, get a scarlet letter on you. Right. Yes. Uh, even if it's like in terms of like, if you want to be, you know, talking about numbers, you know, very uh, modest. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was also, a, a, I don't know why we fucking care about that anymore, but we still do as a society. Yeah. Um, that's my top three. I don't, I have an honorable mention. I just like when Mick says, uh, Mr. Spock, you have the common that, that Dillweed's like, who's Mr. Spock? Right. Yeah, that's funny. Right. Which makes sense um, that no one would know who Mr. Spock is, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, all right. Shall we move on to uh, our next category? Yeah, absolutely. We get them all. Sun worshippers, moon worshippers, Satanists. Demands of people used to hang around here and shoplift. Bunch of deadbeats. So... We'll have to do some explanations on these categories, obviously, uh, being the inaugural episode, but you and I have discussed this, um, basically asking you, did you spot yourself a dick? But to explain what this category is, um, it's the only award that we give out, and it's the Dick Miller Award. Yes. It basically is an award that goes to um, a character in the movie that's playing like a bit role, because Dick Miller uh, is an actor that we both love who has been a bit character cameo performance in a million goddamn movies, everything from Terminator to the Burbs, Gremlins, Little Shop of Horrors, Chopping Malls. I mean, the list just never fucking ends. Yes. Um, so my Dick Miller award goes to uh, Ken Lerner, who plays the agent. And he pretty much has the the one sequence where... Arnold is signing um, signing the waiver, uh, and he stabs him in the back with the pen. Yes, um, but Ken Lerner, a lot like Dick Miller, has a ton of just playing the same bit part in a lot of movies. He just plays a great whiny pencil pusher. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's in Exorcist Three. He's Doctor Friedman in Exorcist Three. He plays uh, the principal in the first half of season one of of Buffy, yeah. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, before he he literally gets killed off like halfway through the season. Um, so he gets my Dick Miller Award. It, he he has a maybe five seconds in that in in this movie, but he he plays it up for all it's worth. So that's funny that you mentioned him of uh, being in Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I totally forgot about that because um, he was subsequently. Um, replaced uh, in the principal principal role by uh, Armin Shimmerman, yeah, or who was uh, who was also had a um, had a key role in uh, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine as well. Yes, yes, yeah. I met him um, once. Yeah, was he cool? Solid dude, just yeah. one of the best dudes. If you have to go through that fucking Ferengi makeup, literally <laughs> day in and day out for uh, for DS9, 
the patient. You kind of have to be a chill dude in order to go right. through all that shit. And sometimes only for like a five minute um, little bit in, in an episode. So uh, I've met actually several Ferengis. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. No, he was, um, he, he is the principal after Ken Lerner's character gets, gets killed off. Who is, who is uh, your award going to? Okay, so mine, and I, you know, I thought about this before we even started watching this movie, because she perfectly fits this category for me, is uh, the actress Lynn Shay. Lynn Shay oh my God. is known for her roles in uh, Kingpin and Dumb and Dumber. In Dumb and Dumber, she plays the, uh, the dog grooming uh, yes, she plays the lady that uh, has the dogs that are being groomed by uh, by uh, um, what's his fucking name uh, in Dumb and Dumber. Um, fuck, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, um, there's Lloyd and there's Lloyd Christmas and um, it's Jeff Daniels is the, Harry. Sorry. So Harry, yeah, you know, yeah, I couldn't think of it either. What the fuck is wrong? Yeah. So Harry, you know, as as you well know, is 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 he's he's got his own independent dog dog grooming business, and he has to get these dogs prepped for this dog show. And of course, um, he uh, he's driving very very recklessly on the way there. He buys some food, some hot dogs for the dogs throws them basically into the back for this, this corral of dogs to eat. And it makes them absolutely fucking disgusting. He shows up to the, to the dog show with this lady, this lady's prized dogs. And they're a fucking mess. She freaks out and her name is Mrs. Noodleborn, I believe. And he keeps fucking, you know, like Mrs. Noogieheimer or whatever. So that's Lynn Shay. She was that she played that role. She also plays, probably my favorite role that she's been in and it's the landlady in kingpin the disgusting yeah. putrid fucking landlady <laughs> she plays a ton of great she's in all the insidious movies she's in um yeah i i love her as well and this is actually blowing my brain what the fuck was she in this movie i don't even she has a real real small role so she's she is listed in the credits as being um basically like the propaganda minister but she's in the te- she's in the TV studio for a real brief moment. Um, you, you know, if you, if you blink, you miss her. But she's there. I was about to say, like when you mentioned her, I was like, wait, she's in this? Yes, she's in that. And also, uh, she has another similar kind of role in that regards in Nightmare on Elm Street. She yes. is Heather Langenkamp's uh, teacher um, in that. So she's also in there, but. Uh, for me, obviously, most famously is being the one that played those those roles in those Farrelly brothers. Yes, yeah, so that, that is my that is my dick. That is a great dick. I, that that <laughs> one. Uh, what a great dick! I think we got uh, two great dicks there because um, I didn't even realize Lynn Shea was in there. So that's a great find on your part. Yeah. Um, and our next category is a very simple question and yet a very important question. And it is if you could replace any character in this movie with Harry Dean Stanton, who we've just both identified as overall best dude. Um, yes. Not, not as good as uh, Dick Miller, because we don't even give him an award here, but just 
we give him the respect of wanting him to be in every movie. So yeah. um, I think you and I are going to agree on this before either one of us says anything. So but I don't, I don't, I kind of went outside the box. So you go first. Killian. Uh, so swap him out for, for Richard Dawson. Yes. Yeah. That. My only problem with that is that Richard Dawson's so perfect. He is. He is perfect. But that for me, I was like, of of the characters in that movie, the really in my mind, the only one that I could see conceivably being played by Harry Dean Stanton would have been Killian. I love that one because I I had originally that was one of my ideas. And then I I had Harry Dean Stanton replacing Laughlin. Uh, Yafet Koto's character. Okay. Um, just because I I see him as uh, a running mate with Arnold, and I can't see him playing the the Weiss whiz kid hacker right. totally. fucking um, position. So yeah. I have I have nothing against his the the performance that he does for Laughlin, but I just thought that Harry Dean Stanton would make a great Laughlin because I could just see him being running mates with Arnold. Um, and I also just kind of want to see Harry that Harry Dean Stanton bulge in those uh, runners spandex. <laughs> so that was probably the other. Nick. Yeah, I want to see that that HDS bulge. Um, <laughs> so the other re- <laughs> was the other the other reasoning behind it. Yes, well, um, you know, I would say I, I I would I would throw my hat in for that one as well. But honestly, yeah. I can't really see anyone else. Um, well, like we talked about in the beginning, um, I didn't want to replace anybody in this movie. I, I thought everyone was well cast. Yeah. But if if my hand was forced, I would love to put Harry Dean Stanton in every movie. So uh, this category is great because sometimes it'll be very difficult and other times it'll be like, wouldn't Harry Dean Stanton have made just such a better this than so-and-so? I just don't think that's the case here. I don't think there's anybody in this movie where Harry Dean Stanton would make a markedly better character than the ones that were chosen. Yeah, but it's fun to to think of him in this. It's, just it, in yeah, it, it's it's fun to hypothesize him in one of those roles for sure. Absolutely, and this is in his wheelhouse, especially that year and this kind of movie. He could totally be in this movie. Yes. Um, let's travel down a a wiki wormhole. You've been blowing my mind with um, most of the stuff you've come up with, um, research wise. Let's talk a little bit about this is very ever so loosely based off of a Stephen King novel um, from 1982, which I was not on, which I was not entirely aware of until, yes, I started doing the research because um, I myself have been um, on a little bit of a Stephen King kick lately. Um, uh, I admittedly have not read a lot of his books, even though I own quite a number of them. But as of late, I have been consecutively reading more and uh i even went so far as uh uh to uh go out and get the running man novel from the library just to kind of see if i had any time to kind of like oh did you find it scan over it. well i just got it from the library just to like yeah to, to kind of you know maybe do a little bit more extracurricular research for this yeah i kind of want to track it down because it, it sounds dope it's one of the rare instances in which stephen king used um one of his pen names so it's yeah, like richard bachman yeah right that's really just all of that is really weird um 
Did you know that Paula Abdul did all the choreography? <laughs> I did not know that. That is, uh, she did all the choreography for the just myriad of uh, like halftime cowboys, cheerleaders, dance routines, right. murders. So that's fun. Yeah, um, I, knew, I knew that she had a career as 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 a cheerleader choreographer. Yes, she did. This is this is her uh, this is her only. Um, Good thing she's ever done for society so <laughs> there you go good so, on her um this movie so blatantly rips off a french movie uh les prix du danger <laughs> yeah danger i would say danger. danger uh from 1983 uh which translates to the price of uh, the prize of peril so much so that the french movie um the producers of that french movie uh, actually sued the producers of this movie. I yes. couldn't find anything about that lawsuit or what happened of it. No, I right. I read the premise, the general premise of the Prize of Peril, the French movie, and uh, yeah, it it sounds almost identical. Right, and so to go back to like the Stephen King yeah. uh, thing too, as well. Um, for what I had researched, um, yes, very loosely based on the book. Even at, uh, in fact, so much that. Uh, uh, Stephen King apparently said that um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, physique-wise, was uh, pretty much the antithesis <laughs> of what his Ben Richards character was in the book. Uh, ben Richards in The Running Man being apparently a, a fairly, you know, uh, scrawny. Um, not Which only makes sense. That, that, that that's the only way it works. Yeah. So that was, you know, some liberties taken by, by the, by the producers, you know, and, and, and uh, screenwriters for this to have, to cast the, you know, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in that role. But I'm not sure I watched this movie if it's Richard fucking gear. (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. You know, they, they, they had the right idea, you know, by doing this. It's a great, it's a great choice. You got to swerve on that and because that way that makes way more sense for the book but for this kind of movie i just want to see arnold killing motherfuckers so well, and, and at the peak of his career no doubt like the guy yeah, at, at the obviously peak like a, a fucking a, a killing machine a fucking uh, just steamrolling the action fucking world with his his appearance yeah because this is this is i'm pretty sure the predecessor or not the predecessor this came after um predator like almost terminator and predator jesus christ like also but but like back to back to back yeah yeah jesus yeah yeah i mean they yeah they were not they were no dummies in in that decision for sure no you just got you just got to sign him up for any movie you did back then um sven the bodyguard who has very little uh to do in the movie but he's actually a professional bodybuilder who won uh, denmark's strongest man in 1983 yeah so that's fun we already talked about Prof- uh, professor tanaka um who was a pro wrestler in the 60s uh andrew davis who directed the fugitive and under siege mm-hmm. he was originally set to direct this at one point but was uh but was replaced by pmg um Schwarzenegger stated that, quote, it was a terrible decision as Glazer 
shot the movie like it was a television show, losing all the deeper themes and believes that it ultimately hurt the movie when they when they switched directors. Um, it yeah. would be interesting to see what Andrew Davis's uh, version of this would be, but I like the, the TV showy kind of the way it was shot. quickly talk about reviews for this for this movie right um because we talked about roger ebert um and what he had to say about it and uh you know he gave it two and a half stars out of four which i think a four star rating is just strange uh it's hard for me to know what two and a half out of four is in terms of likability um but like you said he said quote all the action scenes are versions of the same scenario which i agree with and um i don't think it's you know necessarily a crazy thing that we neither one of us you know necessarily cares for roger ebert but um we will both you know admit when when he's right and he's right here Mm -hmm. um but also i think this is a good time to uh introduce the aspect of did glenn danzig um review this movie (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah so that's the thing so you know to the listeners here we'll we'll tell you that yes we, we're gonna have this uh this uh uh this segment where we're going to put pit side by side a roger ebert and a glenn danzig review of these movies and we're gonna see what they both thought um i myself did not find anything from glenn danzig did you this is going to be the most frustrating category of all time. Um, it'll have the least amount of payoff of any category because right. I feel like we're very rarely ever going to find a Glenn Danzig review. But the only reason we have made this a category is because we both know for a fact that he has written movie reviews for different publications yes. randomly, though, it seems. It yes. just seems like random movies. Yes. So. We are going to go on this fucking journey, and one <laughs> one of these episodes, we will stumble across the fact that that Danzig had reviewed a movie that we're talking about, and we will fucking celebrate that day. But <laughs> like yourself, I did not find a Danzig review. Yeah. I furiously looked for one, and was very bummed out. So we're left with uh, what Ebert had to say about it, and I think in general, I think it has a. It's one of those movies that's more favored by the everyman viewer than it is by critics who tend to pan it. But I think most people that just want to turn their brain off and have like a sci-fi action romp are genuinely pleased by it, it it seems like. Also you got it right, but fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> this also segues into um, what did we think about this movie? Yes. And us designating um, a rating system that doesn't necessarily reflect how much we like this movie. Because uh, because every movie that we talk about on here, we're, is, uh, we're under the assumption that we both like. 
um, or will like if it's a movie that one of us hasn't seen before. Um, so this, the rating system should be maybe more geared towards how close to a midnight movie is, is this movie. And you came up with a great idea that I like that I think we should implement, which is to think of a clock. So our rating will be how close to midnight um, is this movie? So for instance, in terms of The Running Man, I would give this movie uh, like an 11.50 p.m. <laughs> 11.50 p.m. It is a fucking, it is as close to uh, a, a midnight as, as I can possibly, as I could possibly think. But I'm just going to save giving something a midnight score for the most midnight movie of all fucking time when we get there. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think as long as like we're in the beta testing stages of this, we'll, we'll stick with that rating system. Sure. Yeah. Um, for now, when we get this out into the world and maybe we get some feedback from people that we trust, we might be able to develop a, a little bit more, uh, you know, cohesive or, or, uh, uh, you know, understandable system, but yes. Sensical. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's close. It's definitely there. You know, it's, uh, it's something I, I feel like it is definitely something you could. I will say you can even watch this at ten o'clock at night. This would yeah. be after dinner. After dinner, you're 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 hanging out, you know, on the couch with the family. Comes on, why not? Are you giving a ten o'clock rating? Let's say yeah, I'm a, it's a ten o'clock. Cool, it's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm more like uh, it's eleven fifty. Uh, do I want to watch a movie? I'll just fucking throw Running Man. Well, and I, and I will also go. This is. Okay, so here we are. We're, we're developing this idea as we speak. I will also say this. It's also like a 10 o'clock movie in the sense that, like, yes, there is violence to it, but there is not any, any in any way, shape, or form uh, an overabundance of gore or uh, obtuse violence or anything like that that, like, is, is you know... Like, and there's not, no nudity. There's no nudity also. So, the, you know, that's the thing. Like, there, there isn't a lot of... Um, things that would be considered reprehensible to, you know, um, um, a good majority of people. I like what you're saying though. I could see this being like 10 o'clock on USA. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's what I would say is like, you know, the closer we get to midnight with these movies, we have to like uh, take into consideration, like how much it ratchets up, you know, the fucking, the the gnarliness the gnar score I'll, i will dial back my score if that's the case because i agree that that makes sense yeah. and i will dial back my score to like 9 30 yeah because okay great yeah so hell yeah um well i would say like because the most violent really the most gory violent scene is the again that final uh, uh you know kind of octagon scenario with Captain Freedom and, and the, uh, yeah. the body doubles where, like, the one gets their head fucking impaled, you know? Yeah, nothing is ever really... They're, the special effects department wasn't called in for a lot. Let's just say that. Yeah, and in terms of nudity and sexiness, like, again, there's the aforementioned, uh, you know, Amber working out in her lingerie. It's just 80s sexiness in terms of, like, having to masturbate to Olivia Newton John workout videos. Yeah, and really, I mean, especially by our standards today, pretty tepid, uh, tepid uh, sexiness. Yeah, so, on the scale yeah. of like, you know, 
uh, Eskimo kiss to Bukaki. This is uh, closer to Eskimo kiss. <laughs> so there we go. There you have it. Uh, we were more or less in agreement on, on that criteria. This is a this is a fairly fairly tame movie. Doesn't need to be watched super late at night or past you know at midnight or past thereof. Between nine thirty and ten, we've agreed. So that's fantastic. That's good. Tell me, what are we watching uh, next week? Well, I think we had agreed upon this. I don't know if you've had a change of heart, but I believe next up in the queue is Halloween 3. Good. Yes. Well, and, you know, just for everyone else's sake, we've, we've agreed that um, at the end of each episode, uh, we'll take turns choosing the next movie. Um, so it'll be your turn to kind of guide us through some shit. And um, I really look forward to seeing it because uh, I fucking love Halloween 3. Um, so I am totally stoked. And uh, Halloween 3, as we both know, and many people that will be listening to this, hopefully, very polarizing movie in the, uh, in, uh, obviously in the, uh, in the, not only the horror movie, uh, the Pantheon, but in Halloween canon itself. Um, I think and I think it's come, a, it, it's a, it's been a slow burn cult movie since it came out. I think a lot of that, I would hope a lot of that uh, controversy has died down now that people can reflect back on it positively. Um, it definitely was uh, shit on heavily when it came out because it just felt like a cash grab to get butts and seats for people going to see a, a Halloween movie that had nothing to do with Michael Myers. Right. Um, but I'll take Tom Atkins over Michael Myers any day of the week. So. Right. And so, yeah. So as of as of recent times, yes, I agree. I feel like it's it's accrued a, a bit of a of, of a redemption um, from being relegated to the dustbin of of complete trash. Um, and I think people are starting to see, you know, the value that it has, um, um, as a, you know, a movie that, you know, shouldn't be chained to the, to the Michael Myers mythos. I'm so. stoked to talk about it. Cause it's got, uh, not only is it a great standalone movie, but conceptually what they were trying to do was really cool and it just never panned out. So, um, I think it's a perfect, uh, perfect movie for our podcast and um i look forward to talking about it with you and i'll go out on this in terms of our the rating scale that we just talked about yeah on a salient point to talk about with halloween three that will that we will rate it on to come up killing children <laughs> senselessly murdering innocent children that's true that's and on true. that note so there you go. This is our, our first episode in the can. Uh, we'll see you next time, right? We fucking did it. Yes. We'll, right. see you. we'll see you in the fucking nether. He is Sub-Zero. Now, Plane Zero.
Man has been brought to you by...